0: Open your Bibles with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 4 as we continue through this letter, this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the Roman church, Um, and he has been talking about justification by faith Uh, over the last several weeks. We've been looking at that subject, uh, considering uh, how God justifies us or declares us righteous, Uh, How does he go about doing that? When did God come up with that plan? Well, he came up with that plan before the foundation of the world. It wasn't something that he came up with in the New Testament. It was something that he always had planned, that everyone who would be saved would be justified by grace through faith and no other way, and that faith being in Jesus Christ and him alone. And so uh, Paul has been really talking to the Jews Uh, very much in this section, and he's been letting them know, look, the father of everything, the father of all that is Israel, the guy y'all look to and actually teach that he was without sin, Abraham. Abraham was not justified by what he did. Abraham was justified by grace through faith. He believed God. That's so good. I love that that's it. I love that there are not some divine backflips that we have to do to make our way into heaven. I love that there's no work involved in it, but only grace through faith. Paul's been hammering that point and talking about that. Uh, through chapter three, he spoke of justification uh, by faith alone. And here in chapter four, he is illustrating that in the lives of a couple of guys, Abraham. And today we're going to focus in on David a bit. Last week we looked and we saw that that justification was by faith. It's not a new thing, and it's not merited. Uh, the text that Paul is utilizing is Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, and it refers to Abraham. And it says there that Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, there's nothing. I mean, the, 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 the theologians of the Jews uh, believed and taught that Abraham was without sin. Uh, and that was passed on to the other patriarchs as well. Uh, They taught that he earned the favor of God. And Paul is arguing vehemently, really, that no, indeed, that is not what happened. He was saved by faith, justified through faith in Jesus Christ and nothing else. this gospel that Paul is preaching is causing the Jews and even the Gentiles to think, well, you're saying that we don't have to do anything. And do y'all know what that falls out to later on in chapter 6? Do you know what their thinking goes to? Chapter 6, verse 1. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? So I guess we should just keep on sinning since the grace of God is so good, it outpaces all of our sin. Paul's like, no, it's not what I'm saying. Paul, in speaking of justification by faith, Uses that where we see that word justified. What what is it? That's a, a legal term. We talked about that. It's like a judge declaring something. And once the declaration has been made, there's no reversing what the judge says. Justified. Today, the language shifts from the courtroom to the bank. Notice a word that is used repeatedly uh, in these verses. I'm going to be looking at verses 4 through 8 primarily, but in verse 3, he uses this term. Abraham believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. Verse 4, now to the one who works his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And in verse 5, and to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Verse 6, just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness apart from works. Uh, look at verse 8. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. You think this passage might be about the imputation of righteousness to us? That's what that word's talking about. The imputed righteousness of Christ to us. That's the whole thing. That's what he's talking about. And today I want us to think in terms of this. First of all, I want us to see how Paul explains imputation. So the first point, imputation explained. After that, I want us to think about imputation demonstrated, particularly in the life of David and how David understood forgiveness and justification by grace through faith alone. So first, let's look at imputation explained. It says in verse 4, Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Imputation is as we trust in Jesus Christ, God credits his righteousness to our account. Imputation, therefore, is incompatible with earning your salvation. It doesn't compute. It is incompatible with earning your salvation. You cannot do it because God is crediting you something to us. It's moving from one column to the next column. It's not paying for services rendered. It is graciously giving over what one cannot have on their own into our account. It's a wonderful. I love accounting like that, you know? I mean, it's really good. That's great accounting, actually. You know, I wish other people would do stuff like that. You know, I just wake up one morning and open up my bank account. Boom, there it is. You know, $10,000 is sitting right there. Where'd that come from? Don't know. Some benefactor just dropped it into your account. Why? I didn't do anything for them. Uh, They were just happy to meet you. That never happens. But that's what happens with God. He credits. That's imputation. That's the subject that Paul is focusing on. He's focused on, look, there's no merit to gain salvation. There's no merit by which Abraham was justified. There was just a pouring into of an account through faith. Imputation is incompatible with an earned salvation. Paul uses an illustration here, a negative one, because what we know is that merit and what is due uh, is do because of what you have done those things don't mesh with being reckoned righteous by grace being imputed righteousness by god's favor paul here gives a negative illustration in verse 4 he says look a laborer receives earned wages It's the laborer's legal and moral right to receive those wages. Put it another way, it's the employer's legal and moral responsibility and obligation to pay from his due, pay pay the worker his due for the work that he has done. So the boss has to pay the one who does the work. And the one who does the work ought to expect what is due. Right? Let's put this into terms. What should I expect for lying? Because that's what we end up doing. I mean, if we're going to put it into works, I'm going to tell you our works, sooner or later, sooner rather than later, are going to be bad. They're going to be evil. They're not going to attain righteousness. Let's give him his due. If God worked off of that, nobody would ever be saved. Absolutely no one. No one would ever be saved if God says, you know what? I will give you eternal life if you will earn your way here. I'll even tell you everything you've got to do to get here. Here's the whole thing. Do all this and I'll give you eternal life. Nobody's going to make it. Absolutely no one. And God knew this. God knows this. The employer has a responsibility and obligation to pay the laborer what he's due. And what Paul is saying in this is that's not how it is in God's justification. He's not giving us what we deserve. (laughs) Hallelujah! Isn't that great? Somebody smile. Okay? That's great! He's not giving us what we deserve. But you know what? When we talk to people about Jesus Christ when we talk to people about their relationship with God do you know what always comes up the category of compensation well how's your relationship with God what's it like right now well I'm trying to live a good life what's that that's compensation. I'm trying to do what is good. That's compensation. Paul's saying that's not the way it is in justification. Instead of compensation, God grants to us by grace that we are credited as That we are accepted as, that we are accounted as righteous by faith for the sake of His Son. Because salvation is by grace and not by compensation, we receive it by faith rather than earn it by works. There's a tendency of every person to seek acceptance by God based on what we do. When it comes to acceptance by God, it's a matter of grace and faith, not compensation and works. So Paul's explaining what Imputation is, it's, here's your account, and it's absolutely bare of righteousness. If you will, it's probably actually working in a vacuum. And God, when you believe in Christ, takes and puts Christ's righteousness into your account. And that's all there is. That's all he sees. He doesn't look and see all your sin anymore. <laughs> We're going to get into that a little bit because that's what is going to happen in the demonstration of imputation. He doesn't see your sin any more. How does he demonstrate imputation? What he does is he demonstrates it from the Old Testament. Paul looks to Psalm 32, which I was reading out of this morning in my pastoral prayer. Just some different verses than these. But look what he says. Just as David also speaks of the blessing of the one to whom God counts righteousness, Apart from works. David speaks of the blessing of the one. The blessing. He says here, David himself in this passage speaks of our lawless deeds as being forgiven, covered, and not imputed or not reckoned to us will y'all notice the words of Psalm 32 blessed are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not count impute his sin oh let's rejoice on this one okay can we do that, please? Let's rejoice on this one. Notice what he doesn't say. He doesn't say, deserving are those whose lawless deeds are forgiven and whose sins are covered. Notice that he doesn't say, deserving is the man against whom the Lord will not count his sin. (laughs) No, it doesn't say that. What does it say instead? Blessed is the man. Blessed is the woman. Who he doesn't count sin against. David recognizes that the forgiven man the accepted man, the man to whom his own sins had not been reckoned is a blessed man. God doesn't reckon his sin. God doesn't count his sin against him. He does not take his sin into account. Anybody Feeling some relief from that thought. If you're in Christ Jesus today. Any of y'all saved? Any of y'all in Christ today? Isn't there a lifting of burden and sorrow and despair and guilt? Over the thought. That He's not going to count a single sin Against you. Not one. If he counts any sin against you, the imputation of Christ's righteousness is not there. Let's not miss what he says. Blessed is the man against whom the Lord will not. Count his sin this is if you will the non imputation of sin you ever look back on your life and think man I can't believe I did that I can't believe I did those things you ever look back on yesterday and think that He does not count your sin against you. He credits Christ's righteousness to our account. Somebody smile. Man, y'all look just out there like, oh man, I don't know about this. But he also credits your sin and my sin to Christ's account. You see, we don't think about that too much. He who knew no sin became sin for us. (laughs) Remember last week, we kind of opened the door on the thought of the three imputations Adam's sin has been imputed to us, right? Christ's righteousness has been imputed to us. I I want us to see that our sin, all my sin, all your sin, if you are in Christ Jesus, That sin that you feel guilt over, that sin that keeps you from moving forward, that sin that binds you, that you have given over to Him, it was placed on Jesus Christ at the cross. It was right there at the cross. Nailed to a tree. Your sin was put on Jesus Christ. And through faith. His righteousness is imputed to you. (laughs) That's an amazing exchange folks. And some people still to this day want to try to earn their salvation. I'm doing all these things. I'm caring for the poor and the needy. Well, I'm kind to people. These things will not get you into the kingdom of God, but only faith in Jesus Christ and Him alone. What can wash away my sins? Nothing. Nothing. But the blood of Jesus. But what? But what can make me whole again? Nothing, except the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow that makes me white as snow. Yeah, Rick. I, I like that hymn too, but there's still this little blemish over here. That makes me white as snow. Yeah, but you don't know the things I did. That makes me white as snow. The imputation of Christ's righteousness causes God, for those who believe in him, causes God to look at you and never charge you with Sin. He charged it to Jesus. It's gone. Do y'all do y'all see how liberating that is? So when we sing, makes me white as snow. I mean, we go, yeah. We can believe it. It's true. I'm not talking about how you live your life. I'm talking about how he saves us and redeems us. Stop living in doubt and start living in the liberty that he paid for. All the sin, all the shame, all the guilt, everything that was yours is his. And now what is yours is righteousness the righteousness of Christ. Okay, I got a little excited. I just like that thought because I know how sinful I've been in my life. I'm glad he's not going to charge me with it. Y'all know that little phrase from that major prophet? It pleased him to crush him. This is why. I mean, that's a tough phrase. It pleased a father to crush his son. What father says that? Anybody? Any of you dads out there? Hey, son, come here. I want to crush you a little bit. Anybody? No? There's no father who would be pleased to have his son nailed to a cross on purpose. Why did it please him? Why was the father pleased with the crushing of his son? That's what Paul's explaining. Liberty. Liberty. Grace, justification. If your sins are imputed to Christ and his righteousness is imputed to you, walk and live in the liberty that he has bought for you in the grace of don't don't let it be wasted. Don't waste your life looking back and saying, ah, "I'm terrible." Right? I did it for years. Instead, look to the future hope that has been bought and paid for. You have a future. You have a future hope, I do too, if you're in Christ Jesus. he will not count his sin against you. Blessed are you if your sins are forgiven, if they're covered by the blood of Christ. Rejoice and be glad. It's right that we think about this today because today we're, observing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. It's right to think on justification and the imputation of the righteousness of Christ that he pours out to us through his blood. Anytime Paul is talking about faith in Christ, He's including not just the person of Christ, but the work of Christ. It pleased him to crush him. One, for his own glory, and two, for the salvation of those who would trust in him. So we come to this table and we remember that all my sin and all my guilt have been taken away. We come to this table and we remember his death and we proclaim his death until he comes. The Lord's Supper is a meal of great significance. It should be to us. remembering the sacrifice of Christ, that he gave his life for us, that he paid with his own life a ransom so that we could be redeemed, so we remember. It's a meal of significance because in a very real way, we're renewing our commitment through faith and repentance. We're still believing. Maybe between now and the last time we had the Lord's Supper, something has rocked your world. That ever happened to you? Maybe a diagnosis? Maybe the loss of someone you love? I remember my own experience, kind of losing my marbles. Somebody called me up a couple of weeks after, and they said, you doing okay? You know what I said? I still believe. There's a renewal. Even when our world gets rocked, we don't stop believing Him. My circumstances don't dictate who Christ is to me. Thirdly, it's a meal of significance because we realize our future hope gathered around the marriage supper of the Lamb, around that table. It's going to be glorious. A meal with the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Him sharing His table with us. Welcomed guests. Welcomed family. He calls us to Himself. And He bids us to this table. He says, come. Come and partake. Come and partake together. As one body. Christ. And so that's what we do. As we come, we come as baptized believers in Jesus Christ, as those who have placed their faith in Jesus and have been baptized in obedience to him. If there are children here that have not professed Christ, And have not been baptized. They may have professed Christ, but they haven't been baptized. They shouldn't take this ordinance. One ordinance precedes the other. Baptism precedes the Lord's Supper. If you're a guest here today, you're welcome to participate with us. If you are a baptized believer and a member of an evangelical church, that preaches the gospel of salvation that is by grace alone through faith alone in Christ alone. So if you would be permitted today to take this ordinance at your local church, you can receive it with us today. As you examine yourself and you find that you have unrepentant sin. Sin that you have not agreed with God about. I, I, don't need to, I don't need to ask your forgiveness for this. I've done no wrong. But it's sin, and you know it. We say that all the time about our sin. I urge you for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the name of Jesus Christ, for the sake of your church and for the sake, according to Paul, your own health not to partake of this ordinance today. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we give you thanks for salvation through Jesus Christ alone, not by any merit of our own, but by faith in Him. And we thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to partake of this table and to be reminded. of the grace that has been poured out to us and to remember and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ until he comes. Father, forgive us because we as believers in Jesus Christ, those who have been imputed with his righteousness, Lord, we still fall short of your glory. So help us to believe and read and hear the gospel every day and apply it to our hearts and our minds. We love you and give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.